Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. Good morning, everyone. Uh, For those of you who may not know who I am, I'm Tom Butler. I'm one of the pastors here. And in preparing for the message today, I was thinking about new things and how that we we all enjoy new things, don't we? We like new shoes, we like new clothes. It'd be nice to have a new car. I know some people in this room actually like new books when they come out, enjoy reading. Uh, New electronic devices that come out, those are always exciting. This morning you might have Wish for a new snowblower. Who saw that coming? I didn't know it was supposed to snow. And we can really, in our lives, we can get distracted with new things, can't we? Because marketing has become an amazing thing over the last 50 or 60 years, and they have a way of making us aware of things that we didn't know that we needed, and we think about all of these new things, and we get excited about them. Well, most of them, not all of them. There was this thing called New Coke. I don't know if anybody is old enough to remember that, but not too many were, people were too excited about that. But, you know, all of these new things come, and they're so exciting. I remember when the, the latest version of the Corvette came out. It's called the C8 Corvette. It's the first mid-engine. It was a huge change. It made it a real supercar, and, um, and it's still a big deal. But you know what? It's, at the end, it's just a thing. And if you drove it as a daily driver, it would get dirty and it would get scratched up and it would get lots of miles on it and it would end up being all used up. You know, there was a new thing that happened in 1983 and here, here's a, a little bit of a history quiz for you. In 1983, there was a, a new dance move that happened in the middle of a song and the name of the song was Billy Jean. And Michael Jackson was singing this song, and three-quarters of the way through the song, he did something that had never been seen before, a new dance move. That is not going to (laughs) happen, because I know Pete knows what it is. It was the moonwalk, and it changed everything. All of a sudden, everywhere you went, whether it was in schools or in the malls, didn't matter where you were, Everybody was doing this thing. It was new. When was the last time you saw somebody do that? You know, it was new, and then it burned out, and it went away, right? You know, I really appreciated uh, the Ecclesiastic class. I I talked about it last time I was up here. We were talking about this morning, and uh, we were reading through the verses and said, all of this is futility. There's nothing new under the sun. There really isn't anything new. We take what is existing and we create things and and then they become old and all of that. And yet this morning in Matthew chapter one, we're going to look at something that was genuinely new. It was different and it had never happened before. Everything that we create ends up getting used up or disappoints us. This was a new creation that had never existed before. Think about that. 
A lot of times I think when we read the, the account of the birth of Jesus, we think, well, Jesus lived over here, and then he came and lived with us for a while, and, and then he went back, right? And now we're going to go be with him someday. And yet there was something so much more significant that happened in this passage. And I'll be honest with you, as I was preparing, I was intimidated by this passage. Because as you look at the arc of Scripture, this event is unique and special. If this event doesn't happen, then the rest of it falls apart. And I'm thinking... This is such an important day, um, but it's God's word. And so I'm excited for us to go through it today. And as we think about this event, you know, we think sometimes that maybe this is where the gospel started, right? Because man sinned, he fell, there was all of this struggle throughout the Old Testament, but then God came to be with us in the person of Jesus, and this is the beginning of the gospel, and it goes forward from there, and yet that's not exactly true. It's not at all true. I mean, when you look at the people in the Old Testament, how did they get to go to heaven? Jesus hadn't come yet, right? So did none of them get to go to heaven? Well, no, Parker did a great job last week of talking about the prophesied Messiah and how that from the very beginning of sin in Genesis chapter 3 God stepped in and said there will be a seed of the woman that will crush your head it was the first indication that there would be a Messiah and throughout the Old Testament it continues to give us more and more information about that and so as the old as the people in the Old Testament were struggling with the law and they were struggling with sin and failure and they were trying to do better and they were failing and all of that stuff that we went through in Nehemiah and then there was the 400 years of silence. And they had to be disillusioned thinking we've heard about this, this, this Messiah that's coming and we believe God and we trust God and yet he's not here, he's not here. It's been generations and he's not here. And then we get to Matthew. And in my mind, I'm thinking they had to be beyond themselves excited about this, this Messiah that has been announced that is here. And yet the reality is I think we are more excited because we know the whole story. I think they were probably more confused and doubtful at the time. But we sitting here today can understand the significance of what that event meant. And so as we go through this passage this morning, there are two things that I want us to consider. First of all, the facts of the situation. So we're going to look at what happened, and then we're going to look at what it means. What does all of this stuff mean? Now, it's important to know what happened because the facts of the situation, and I'm going to restrain my desire to use a Joe Friday quote from Dragnet. The facts of the matter are a little different than the way that we live our lives. And so if we read this, these verses and we interpret them through our experience, we're going to come up with a different uh, thought pattern than if we transport ourselves back into time. So I think it is worth our time to take a little bit of, of time to look at this. 
So as we look at what happened, we're going to look at primarily at this, this marriage process, this marriage situation that was going on between Joseph and Mary. And as, as we look in verses 18 through 21, we see the marriage process. It says, the birth of Jesus came this way after Mary had been engaged to Joseph. Now let's stop there. When we think of engagement nowadays, we think of a guy and a girl nowadays, probably in their 30s, <laughs> you know, used to be younger. Uh, they get all googly-eyed and they, they like each other and they want to hang out and they agree on things and they decide, you know what? We should probably get married. Let's get engaged and and then a ring is involved, and it's just between the two of them as they decide that they want to spend their lives together, right? That's the way it works. That's not the way it worked here, and believe it or not, it's not the way it still works in other parts of the world. This engagement process involved the families. The families, from the time the kids are about 10 years old, start looking around and they start looking at other families and other children and they say we've got to find a wife for our son or we have got to find a husband for our daughter even though she's young so they start looking around and they start vetting different families and they narrow it down and they find some that would be suitable and then when the 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 kids get to be in their mid to late 20 or mid to late teens then they, they make the choice and the families come together and they negotiate a contract. They say, okay, what, what's going to come with your daughter? What, what are you going to bring as a family into this? What is this going to look like for us as two families coming together in this marriage? And then once all of that is negotiated and they all agree on the terms of how this is going to be, then they sign a contract a legally binding contract, and then for the next year, there is uh, a period of time where they're waiting before they actually come together as man and wife. So when we jump into Matthew chapter 1, and it says they're engaged, the contract has been written. They are in the period where they're waiting to come together as a husband and a wife. And all of a sudden, then, that's a marriage process the next thing is the marriage problem, right? Because it says that it was found out that Mary was pregnant by means of the Holy Spirit. That would be strange enough for us to hear today. Imagine what it was like back then. That had to have, that had to entail a pretty awkward conversation, don't you think? As you think about that, Mary had to tell Joseph. There's no hiding it, you know, the way biology works. It's going to happen. And so she went to him and she said, this is what happened. The response from Joseph lets us know that he was conflicted. But the problem was that Mary was going to have a baby. So either Joseph didn't believe her, which just common sense says, you know, I thought I knew Mary and her family and all this time. I don't see how this is possible that she could do this thing. 
but I also don't understand what she's saying. God would not do this. God would, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. And so he didn't know what to do. You know, and, and it says that Joseph was a righteous man. And he was a kind man. It could be that he thought, you know, I do believe Mary. I do believe that what she is telling me is true. And that's, that's exciting for her, that she is going to give birth to the child that was conceived by the Holy Spirit. But if that's God's child, then what role is there for me in this? I've got to get out of the way so that God can do what he's going to do. All of this is speculation. We don't know what was going on in Joseph's mind. We do know that he had some options. He could divorce her publicly if he wanted to because they're in this contract period and he has to get out of this contract. So he could have publicly trashed her and said, I am the innocent victim here. This marriage has got to end. I've got to put her away because she's done this horrible thing and, and I'm absolved and I don't want anybody to think wrongly of me because of what she did and I'm divorcing her and put her away. Make sure that everybody knew what was going on. He could also decide, you know what? I don't know what to make of this, but we can't go forward. Um, it's a scandal. I'm just... We're, we're going to keep it amongst our families. We'll work it out. We'll make the divorce happen. You're going to go live your life. I'm going to go live my life. Or he could have married her. Well, according to these verses, it said that he decided that he would put her away privately, that he would quietly divorce her. They would get rid of the contract. They would, they would move on. Until the marriage clarification came, <clears throat> and that's in verse 24. So again, Joseph, his mind is just spinning. And then in verse 24, he goes to bed and he says that, um, I'm in the wrong verse here. Verse 20, yeah. Yeah, the, the verse 20. It says, but after he had considered these things, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because she has been what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So God stepped in to the midst of this confusion through this angel to clarify for Joseph what he needed to do. And I think it's interesting that he said, don't be afraid. Because... Joseph was a righteous man, and he was probably terrified on what all of this was going to mean for him and his family. And the angel said, don't be afraid. I love that Matthew put in here, Joseph, son of David. Once again, he is putting the stamp that this is the legitimate line of David. This is what is happening. This is the Messiah that is coming. And so after getting the clarification on that, Joseph decided in verse 24 to go ahead and marry her. It says, when he woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him, and he married her. He went forward with the marriage, and it brought forth the baby Jesus, and that was the marriage blessing. Now, the blessing wasn't the fruit of the marriage. It was a blessing to the marriage. It wasn't Joseph's son, but it was the son of God that was given to Mary and to Joseph. 
Can you imagine <laughs> wrapping your mind around the fact that of all of the people on the planet that God could have used to bring the Messiah into the world, he picked you. That had to be a lot. But it was an amazing blessing. So those are the facts. That's how this thing went down, okay? So then, what does it really mean? Well, let's go back to verse 18. It says, the birth of Jesus came about this way. This is the way it happened. This is what Matthew wants us to know, that it happened this way. And in verse 20, he says, um, but, after this, but after this, he considered the Lord and the angel appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary, because what she has conceived is from the Holy Spirit. Okay? So what he is saying here in both, both verse 18 and verse 20 is that what has happened is from the Holy Spirit. Where else do we see the Holy Spirit at work in a creative act? We go back to the first chapter, the second verse of the Bible, right? Where the Holy Spirit of God was over the deep. And the Holy Spirit of God was doing a creative work at that time. What's happening here in verses 18 and verse 20 is a creative work that had never happened before ever in the history of everything. This was different. This was unique. This was God stepping in and creating something that did not previously exist for the purpose of his plan. Just let that sink in for a second. This was God stepping in and creating something that had never, ever existed before for the purpose of fulfilling his plan. He knew that there had to be a Messiah that was both fully human and fully God, that had to be sinlessly perfect and be offered up as the sacrifice. So why didn't Mary and Joseph have a son that could lead a perfect life and be the Messiah? Well, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 21, <clears throat> you'll see it says, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also come through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also Christ in Christ, all will be made alive. Because of the sin of Adam, this couldn't just simply be a person because the sin of Adam would have been passed down to that child. And even if they were very good and they did all the right things, they weren't sinlessly perfect because they were affected by the sin of Adam. That's why the Holy Spirit had to step in and do that creative work so that Jesus could be born as the only sinlessly perfect person ever created since Adam and Eve. He had to be the new Adam. The first Adam failed, right? In very short order. He had everything given and he failed. This is the second Adam that was created and he is the one that is going to be the Messiah. 
Let's be clear. What was created was a new humanity of Jesus. The deity of Jesus had always existed. And so what happened in this birth wasn't the beginning of Jesus. This was this unique time where Jesus, God himself, put on human form. A human form that was created by the Holy Spirit. He entered into that to live the perfect life as God and as man so that that perfect life could be offered as the sacrifice, the representative of all of us to make a way to reconcile humanity to God. Jesus had always existed. He chose to take on humanity. That is something we will never be able to understand. We will not be able to understand the magnitude of what it means to leave the glory of the Trinity and to take on a human form. And not just any human form, but a humble human form. And to live the life that he knew that he was going to live. And then ultimately to be betrayed, to be uh, abandoned and brutalized in his humanity as a part of that process. We can't even begin to imagine that. I, I was joking, I had the word reincarnation put in my notes and Parker was getting a little nervous about me. What, what, what are you talking about? But there are some religions that believe in reincarnation that when you die, you don't go to heaven. You, you come back as something or someone else, right? And you know, I've, I've, I've thought about that. I go, I've got a pretty good life if reincarnation were a thing and I came back as something or someone else, it probably wouldn't be better than the life that I enjoy right now. What if I came back as some powerless, impoverished person in a despotic government situation and, and had to live out? I mean, I have all these scenarios going on. I don't want to do that. That would be awful. I, there's no way I would want to do that. And yet Jesus knowingly and willingly entered into humanity knowing what was in front of him because of his love for us. That's incredible. It's beyond our ability to comprehend, but to the extent that we can I would encourage you this week to dwell on that because he did that for you because he loves you that much. It's one of the things we talked about in our class, the amazing thing that God is, is God of all creation, God of the universe, and yet he knows the hairs on your head. He cares about you. So the first thing that it means is that there was a new creation. The second thing in verse 21 the new creation is the Messiah. In 21b, it says, um, and you are, to, uh, you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Like, like Parker had said last week, Jesus means Yahweh saves. I mean, he was the Messiah. Christ was the anointed one. That's what Christ means that we learned last week. And so we are told in this passage that he is the Messiah. He is the created one. He is utterly unique. There's never been anyone like him. 
and he's here to save his people. Salvation has always been for all people. That's the other thing to remember. Salvation didn't start with Jesus coming to earth. Salvation has always been by faith in God and in his prophesied Messiah. You know, we look in the, the Hebrews 11, the, the uh, Hall of Fame of Faith, and how that all of these people were justified by faith. They were Old Testament people. Jesus hadn't come yet, right? And yet their faith is what uh, provided their way of salvation. You know, if, if when it says his people here in this verse, it's only talking about the nation of Israel, then think about all the people that were listed in the genealogy that were not a part of the nation of Israel. Salvation has always been to all people. God created all people. God loves all people. And God has provided a way for all people to be reconciled to him. Full stop. Not just a certain subset of people. He is the Messiah of all people, of all time. Verse 22, it goes on to show us that the Messiah was attested by God himself. In verse 22, it says, Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord. And I, I like the way he says that, by the Lord through the prophet. Uh, when I was in Bible college, they always said the Bible has one author. It's got a lot of writers, but it's got one author. And here, Matthew quotes from uh, Isaiah where in verse 23 he says, See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, God with us. This was a fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah was God's word. They all recognized Isaiah to be God's word. God had attested to the fact that this was the Messiah. This was his chosen Messiah. And God was the one that was attesting to that. Um, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1. It's in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, For we do not follow cleverly contrived myths, and we do not know uh, that we have made known to you by the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus. Above all, you know this, no prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation, because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So as you read the Bible, you know this wasn't just some guys writing down their opinion, right? This was the word of God. This was God speaking through these men. And here in Isaiah, God is attesting to the fact that Jesus was going to be the Messiah, God with us. And then in verse 23, it goes on and it talks about God with us. God has always wanted us to be with him. That is why he created everything that he created. That's why he created man in his own image. So the question might be, why? Why would he do that? Why would he, was he lonely? Did he need a friend? Why did God create us? Why did God create the world why did God create all of this and the answer to that is for his glory 
As we watch the sunrise in the morning and the magnificence of the sun, it, it speaks to the glory of God. As we go to the Grand Canyon and we see the majestic landscape of that, it speaks to the glory of God. And when God's people get together and they worship him and they sing praises to him, it brings glory to him. And that's why he created us, for his glory. It may seem narcissistic when you look at it from our perspective, but that's because it's hard for us to comprehend what it means to be God. God is worthy to be worshipped. God is worthy to be glorified. And that is why he created us. You know, it, it's interesting when you think about the arc of history. You know, where did the gospel begin? Where did the salvation process begin? Well, you know the little circle diagram that we've got. It started before the first of the circles. In eternity past, God purposed to create. And when he did, he wasn't surprised when sin entered the picture. And when he did, he knew already what the solution was going to be. And God has always been faithful to his plan. And so as we come to this first chapter of Matthew and we see the birth of Jesus and we see the uniqueness of the way that it went down and we see that nobody could make this up. We're just discovering it and trying to understand it and yet from eternity past this was God's plan and he knew that it had to go down that way. If it could have gone any other way, he would have answered Jesus' prayer of the garden when Jesus said, Please, if there's some other way, let this cup pass from me. And yet there was no other way. This is the way that it had to be. And God was faithful to his plan, even though it meant sacrificing his son. And he did that in order that we could be reconciled to him. That's why he had to come here and be with us. And not just be with us, but to be like us and to live a human life the way that we do. Experience the joys, the hurts, the pains, the friendship, the love, the abandonment, all of the things that we experience in our life, he experienced just as we do, and yet without sin. That's a love that we can't understand, but that's God. God is love. The reason that all of this exists is because in eternity past, God existing in the, in the unity and the joy of the Trinity, love overflowed in his creative work that created all of this stuff. And even though it was perverted in the sin in the garden, God's love overflowed and allowed an accommodation for that through the person of Jesus Christ that we could be restored and not destroyed and that we could be brought back into relationship with him. That is amazingly comforting and exciting, isn't it? Because it's all about him. All of this coming out of this little passage that says there was a baby born to a couple people and it was complicated. But it was so much more than that. It is a key hinge point in all of the redemptive work of God. This event had to happen. 
and it had to happen this way. And God was faithful to superintend it and to see it through, and Jesus was faithful and obedient to live it out so that it could become effective for us. So the question for us in all of this is, what does that mean for me? What, what do I do with this information? How should I think about this information? As I think about it being this key event, first of all, I need to accept it, don't I? No, because the reason that this had to happen was that so people that were estranged from God which was all of us, could be brought back into relationship with God. And so my question for you this morning, firstly, is have you been made a new creation by the Holy Spirit of God? And this, you may say, oh yeah, yeah, I did that years ago. I ask it that way specifically because a lot of us say, oh, I got saved back here. I said a prayer back then. I did the, you know, been going to church my whole life and everything. Now, people, let's put all that aside, okay? And examine your heart and say, have I truly accepted God's gift and has God God, through his Holy Spirit, made me a new creation. Because that's what his word says happens when, when we accept him and we lay down our life. It said, the old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And we are now a new creation in him. And by that, it means that before this time, there had never been a time when God came to live within us within human beings before. He had been with them. He had worked on them. He had used them. He had empowered them. But now he is coming to live within inside us in the person of the Holy Spirit and creating a new creation. Has that happened in your life? Would you say, I am a new creation? I know that the Spirit of God lives within me because he convicts me of sin. He encourages me. He directs my paths. He comforts me. I know that I am a new creation. Or would you say, I'm not really sure what that means or if that's a reality. There isn't room to play around. I mean, if there's any question about that, today is the day that you want to say, okay, God, I want to make sure that I have truly surrender my life to you, and that I am the new creation in that the Holy Spirit has come to live within me in this unique and special way. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is, if, if that has been a reality in your life and you have become a child of God, what are you doing in your life to enhance your love and appreciation for God as a result of that. What are you doing? What are you reading? What are you listening to? What are you surrounding yourself with? What, what, what acts of service are you doing? What practices are you doing? That's, 
You know, the reason we're doing the practices in our small groups isn't just because it makes us super Christians. This is how Jesus lived his life. This is how he modeled his life. And this is what we're doing. If we want to be more like him, if we want to be more appreciative of what he have done, we should live our lives the way that he did. And so the challenge for all of us this morning is not to get caught up in the noise of life, but just the opposite is to turn down the volume of our lives and turn our attention to the awesomeness of Jesus and the new creation that we are and and what an amazing thing is. Now, you may say, this is as good as it gets, right? So, you know, there was the garden, that that was perfect, but then there was sin. And then the Old Testament, that was pretty rough. But now... We've got God with us. That's as good as it gets, right? Well, no, because now we have God in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's as good as it gets, right? No. Because he's told us in his word that he's going to come and he's going to take us where he is. And so just as Adam Adam and Eve lived in this place where there was no sin, we are going to be able to be with God in perfect, sinlessness and the influences of the evil one will be gone and all of the things that we struggle with all the anxieties all the pains all the hurts all of the past all of the everything will be gone and we get to be with him forever that's as good as it gets but right now is the time to make sure that you have accepted that so that you can number one enjoy the fullness of life that God has for you now, but then to also have the security and the certainty of what is to come. That is the significance of God with us. That is the significance of this this event where Jesus came and took on human form to be like us. There is no more loving act that could ever have been accomplished than what God did in this in this event. And I hope this morning that you will be encouraged, that you know that the Spirit of God lives in you in a unique way as a believer, and that you will take some time and pray and celebrate that, and that you will, as as I try to as well, I mean, I hope you know that whenever anybody's up here talking to you, they're talking to themselves as well, turn down the volume of life and all the concerns that would seek to get us all stirred up and spend more time focusing on him and what he has done and who he is and uh, the fact that he lives within us and what is ahead for us because there is nothing that can compare to that. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning we are just in awe. And Lord, I pray that you would help us, each one, to go from just sentimentally thinking about you as our Savior to standing in awe of you as our God. You deserve our worship. You deserve our praise. You deserve everything. 
And this morning as we look into Matthew 1 and we consider the fact of what you did to come in to be with us and to provide the salvation through Jesus, Lord, we just pray that you would give us boldness in a world that does not want to hear it. Give us boldness to share the good news of Jesus and what it really means. It's not a life of following rules. It is entering into a love relationship with the God of creation. And I pray that you would allow each of us to have the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus this week with somebody who desperately needs to hear it. May your kingdom grow because we've looked at your word this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening, and we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at com, or you can find us on social media at Gospel. Mm-hmm.